in the loss of Lori's father, Sonny Barr, this past one of our former Southwest members, Ada Fleming. It's good to be with you this evening, to be able to worship God together again. I invite you to open your Bibles up to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Tonight we're going to be studying together from Genesis chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now our Bible teaches us that there is a battle that is ongoing and it is a battle in which we all are taking part even if unknowingly. It is the battle between good and evil or right and wrong or righteousness and unrighteousness. I think about passages like Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 as Paul begins to contrast the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And he makes this statement, he says that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit uh, wars against the flesh and these two are contrary to the other. And the picture is that there is this ongoing battle between the flesh and the Spirit the things of God and the things of the world. And this battle is not only ongoing, it, it'll, there'll never be a time in which the flesh can reach over into the spirit or the spirit reach over into the flesh. There's no fence riding with this. It's a one or the other proposition. And then he'll go on, of course, to identify the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit so that we have an idea of the difference between the two. I think about passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember verse 14 through 16? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, Paul said. For, and then we have this list. What contrast, uh, excuse me, what, um, uh, what business has light to do with darkness? And he that believes with an infidel and Christ with Belial and uh, so on and so forth. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, you are children of light, chapter 5, verse 1, so walk as children of light, and part of being a a child of the light is avoiding and exposing the darkness. John 3, 19 to 21, this is the condemnation, Jesus said, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because the light exposes the deeds of the darkness as being evil. Over and over again, the Bible reminds us that there is good and evil, there's right and wrong, there's righteousness and unrighteousness, and there is this constant ongoing conflict between those two, those two things. And listen, none of it is new. It's been going on since the garden. It's been going on since the beginning. The things that we see in the world that repulse us today, it's not as if these things are some sort of new creation of the 21st century We read about the same kinds of problems and sins in the pages of God's word throughout the history of mankind as well. And that brings us to our context, Genesis chapters 4 and 5. Now you may be wondering, you may be looking at this and thinking, well, this is an odd odd context. Why are we taking Genesis 4? There's a lot there, but Genesis 5 is all... Um, it's all a lineage. So what, why are we studying Genesis 4 and 5 like this? Well, part of that is because I got a phone call last Sunday night at 9 o'clock that said, hey, can you fill in for a speaker at Shirts tomorrow? And his assignment is Genesis 4 and 5. <laughs> but the other reason is because what we see in Genesis 4 and 5 
They both, they both go together and they form a context of contrast. And in this contrast, we see that which is evil and that which is good. Let's start by looking at the context that leads up to it, and then maybe we'll be able to see it a little more clearly. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. You've heard this material before. Remember that God created man, and he placed him in the garden where he enjoyed perfect fellowship with his creator. But God, when he placed man in the garden, he gave him a command. And what was it? You can eat of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of that tree, and the day that you do, that's the day that you're going to die. And then Genesis 3 and verse number 6 is the pivotal passage for mankind. And the reason why is because up till Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good uh, for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, she uh, ate of it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate too. Before that point... In human history, what was the relationship that existed between man and God? It was a relationship of fellowship, of perfect harmony, of unity, if you will. But it all changed in Genesis 3-6. When Adam and Eve violated the command that God had given them, then that relationship changed. And between Genesis 3-6 and Genesis 3-15, God hasn't given any information about how he's going to solve that problem until Genesis 3-15 which is what we call the pivotal passage for God. It's the first messianic prophecy. And at this moment in time, God announces to humankind, this is what I'm going to do to solve the problem that has just been introduced into the world. So from this point on, through the pages of God's word, there are two things that we see happening, basically. One is that God reveals his plan to save man, his plan for man's redemption, slowly throughout the pages of human history. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday morning. But the second thing that we see, and here's where it becomes germane to our study tonight, the second thing that we see is that man is going to struggle in this life dealing with the consequences of sin that were introduced in the garden on this occasion. Romans 5 verse 12 says, remember, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men, because all have sinned. Now you stop for a moment and you think about the difficulties that we see in our world, in our time, in our lives. The struggles that we have. The struggles that we have with the effects of sin. The struggles that we have with pain and death and uh, disease and whatever the difficulty may be. And then think for a second about the fact, again, that none of those things are unique to us. They're not new inventions. They've been around since, well, Genesis chapter 3 and then Genesis chapter 4. You see, in Genesis 4 and 5, we see this battle for the soul on full display because now we're going from the garden in which man sins and God says, here's how I'm going to deal with it to those who were born to the ones in the garden and how the result of the sin of those in the garden affects them. And so in Genesis 4 and 5, we read about things like righteousness, we read about wickedness, we read about pain, we read about problems, but maybe most importantly, we read about consequences. 
And we'll say more about this when we get to the end of the lesson, but if I were to point out one thing from Genesis 4 and 5 that I would suggest ought to just be ingrained in our minds, it's this. That the consequences of our decisions today are going to affect people other than us and far beyond just this day and just this hour. What Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3, the consequences are still alive and well. And in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5, as we read about Cain and as we read about Abel and as we read about Seth and continue reading about Adam and Eve, what we find is that they made choices as well and their choices they bore consequences on throughout time as well. Let's look at the context. We're going to divide it in four points. Let me go ahead and give you the outline because I'll probably forget later if I don't now. Worship, Genesis 4, verses 1 to 5, worship. Murder, Genesis 4, verses 6 to 8. Consequence, Genesis 4, verses 9 to 15. And contrast, Genesis 9, 16 through the end of chapter 5, verse 32. Let's look at these four words together briefly and how they, uh, work, how they um, work through these two chapters. First of all, there's worship in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. In these, in these five verses, we read about the imperative of worship. We're familiar with John 4 and verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But what we realize is that we're seeing that in principle right here in Genesis 4 verses 1 to 5. There are two brothers who bring two different sacrifices, actions of worship if you will. One of those is accepted, one of those is rejected... And evidently, both of them recognize that God is worthy of worship, but only one of them recognize that God requires worship to be done in accordance with his will or accordance with his authority. I want you to remember with me what happens in Genesis 4, verses 1 to 5 about Cain and Abel. Remember that um, Cain brought, the, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, Abel of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but he didn't respect Cain and his offering, and so Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. I want you to keep in mind that, and I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, and notice what the Bible says about these events. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, we learn one very important truth. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Can I ask you a question? How did Abel know what to do in order to offer a more excellent sacrifice? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at Genesis 4 verses 1 to 5 and said, well, wait a minute, was God being fair here? Did, Cain, did Abel just guess right and Cain guessed wrong and so God was, is that what's going on here? No, that's not what's going on at all. What does your Bible say about where faith comes from? Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's the point. Abel didn't guess and neither did Cain. The fact that the Hebrews writer is able to say that by faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice, that tells me that God had revealed something to him about who he was and about what he wanted. Abel couldn't have worshipped by faith if God hadn't revealed himself to him. Ask yourself this question. Uh, when's the last time you believed in and obeyed someone that you didn't know anything about? 
1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 and following teaches us, uh, teaches us the fact that the things that we know about God, we know them because God has revealed them to us in the pages of his word, in the pages of scripture. So the key to Genesis 4, verses 1 to 5 is really very simple. Abel did what, did what was right and Cain didn't. Abel acted by faith. God had revealed something to him, and Abel did what God asked him to do. Cain did not. Cain did not uh, act by faith. And that's why, by the way, Jesus, when he describes Abel in Matthew 23, 25, that's why he described him as righteous Abel. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, it means to be right with God. But what does it mean to practice righteousness? Basically, it means to do what's what? What's right? So when I look at Genesis 4, verses 1 to 5, and I see this worship that these two brothers offer to the Lord, what comes to my mind immediately is Hebrews eleven four, Matthew 23, 25. We know a lot about Cain and what his worship wasn't when we understand more about Abel and what his worship was. Abel offered by faith. Abel was righteous. Abel knew something evidently because God had revealed some information to him about what he wanted. Abel did it and Cain didn't. Now the lesson I think for us is quite simple and it is this. Are we willing to open up God's word and simply do what God asks us to do? No more and no, or no, and no less. Will we work by faith, whether it's worship or whatever the uh, thing may be, are we going to do what God wants us to do? Look at the second part of this chapter. Murder, Genesis 4, verse 6 to 8. I want you to look at the last part of verse number 5 going into verse 6. What was Cain's reaction? His countenance, he was very angry and his countenance fell. Now the Lord is going to ask Cain some questions. He's going to confront him. And this is an incredibly important time. This is a, a, a very important occasion in his life. And the reason is because Cain has done that which is wrong, and now Cain is going to be confronted with his wrong. And the big question is, Cain, how, what are you going to do about this? Now, we've all stood in Cain's shoes at different times, haven't we? Because we've all done things that were wrong. And what we learn from God's word about doing things that are wrong is, look, God knows that from time to time we're going to sin. It's not a question of if. What's re- the question really is, what are we going to do once we- our sin is pointed out to us? And that's what's happening in Genesis 4, verses 6 to 8. God asks Cain some questions. He asks him, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? These questions are intended to cause him to pause and to reflect on the justification of his anger. What God wants Cain to understand, or what God wants him to realize, I should say, is, look, you're angry about something, and you don't really have a right to be angry about it. It's kind of like what we do with our kids when they throw temper tantrums. Do it, are, are you doing right to fall on the floor and kick and be ridiculous? No. Cain, why are you angry? Do you think this is right? God wants Cain to think about it. And then he makes this statement. If you do well, it will be accepted But if not, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you that it should rule over you. This statement is simply calling attention to the basic simplicity of a right relationship with God. 
All God is telling Cain when he says, if you do well, he's, he's saying, look, if you're determined to do what's right, you will. If you're determined to do what's wrong, then you will. And sin will overtake you. Sin will rule over you. So Cain, you have, you have a very important choice to make here. What are you going to do about this? You've committed sin. You're angry. Now, are you going to continue in your anger and allow that to take you further into a wrong direction? Or are you going to change course and are you going to choose to do what's right? We all face the same question. We all have to deal with the same decision. For example, how are we going to live our lives? What's most important to us? That's, that's a question that we need to consider. How are we going to react when we're confronted with the reality of our own sin? I can't help but think of David. Remember Psalm 51? David essentially in his psalm of penitence, he, he leaves no stone unturned, no question in, in, in his mind or anybody else's. He realized that he was guilty of committing the sin that he knew that he had committed. And he calls out to God and confesses that sin to him and asks God to forgive him. And uh, I can remember that Don always made this point, and I always loved it, and I think it's so true. The greatness of a man is not determined by whether or not he's going to be sinlessly perfect. The greatness of a man is going to be determined by how he deals with the sin once it's been committed. And in David, we see someone who did what was right and who dealt with his sin as it needed to be dealt with. He's a man after God's own heart. That's what God is asking Cain to do in Genesis chapter 4. He's asking Cain to just stop and think about the situation and make it right. But um, Cain's not willing to do it. Write down 1 John 3, verses 10 and following, and also Matthew 5 and verse number 21. You know how this goes. Cain murders his brother Abel. And 1 John 3 tells us the reason why is because he was filled with hatred and he allowed his anger to go unchecked and uncontrolled. Cain had a decision to make, and he made the wrong decision. Are you starting to see now, Genesis chapter 3, Romans 5, verse 12, sin enters into the world, death by sin. Are you starting to see now in Genesis chapter 4 how we have those who are righteous, that's Abel. Those who are unrighteous, that's Cain. Those who suffer innocently, that's Abel. Those who are guilty of putting uh, undue suffering on people, that's Cain. Are you starting to see how God's word is now describing how all of this is going to how all of this is going to unfold look at the consequence in Genesis 9 or Genesis 4 verses 9 to 15 God tells Cain in Genesis or I should say this the Lord says to Cain in Genesis 9 where's Abel and Cain says I don't know am I my brother's keeper reminds me of the fact that we live in a guilt complex culture it's never my fault it's always somebody else's fault I'm, I did what I did because someone else made me do it. Adam said the same thing, remember? Lord, it's the woman that you gave to be with me. Now, Cain, I don't know where my brother is. I'm not supposed to keep up with him. It's not my job. Well, it was. God knew where he was. He's simply trying to get Cain to be honest with what's happened, and as of yet, he's not willing to do it. And so God says in verse number 11, you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Cain has to deal with the consequences of his own actions, and there's not a soul in this world that's any different. The reality is that we all own the consequences that are tied directly with the choices and decisions that we make. 
It's called the law of sowing and reaping in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, then he'll reap condemnation. If he sows to the spirit, then he'll reap everlasting life. Now look at the contrast. There's worship, there's murder, there's consequence. Now look at the contrast. Here's really where the application, I think, comes into play as far as our choices and the consequences of those choices. Do you notice anything peculiar about the end of Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 through 25? We have in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 through 24, we have the family and the lineage of Cain. And look close at some of the things that are identified in the lineage of Cain. We read about a wonderful man by the name of Lamech in the lineage of Cain. Lamech is the first man who is uh, uh, described by God's word as having two wives. And this is the one who says in verse 23 and 24, Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy and sevenfold. We read in Cain's line about Jabel and Jubal and Tubal-Cain, and all of these individuals are known for their cleverness and their culture. They're all identified in God's word because of material things that they accomplished. Now look at how that is contrasted with what starts in verse 25 and extends through the end of chapter 5. The Bible tells us that Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born and he, began, and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. In Cain's line, we read about people like Lamech who are violating God's will and who are concerned with carnality. But in Seth's line, we read that people begin calling on the name of the Lord. And then when we go into chapter 5, we read about a couple of men, maybe you've heard of them, Enoch and Noah. And both of them are described as those who walked with God. The New Testament will talk about them as well in Jude 14 and 2 Peter 2 and verse number 5. Do you see what God's word, what God has laid out for us in these two chapters? In chapter 3, sin enters into the world and all of the problems that sin causes in the world. And then in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we have this high definition, if you will, illustration of what that's going to look like. Because Adam and Eve have two sons, one of them murders the other one. One of them worships right, one of them worships wrong. One of them is forced to make, or one of them chooses rather a terrible decision path in life, faces the consequences of it, and God's word will identify his family as being, as being those who make the same kinds of bad choices. Cain's line lives on, lived on. But then in contrast to that, we have Seth. We have Abel in contrast to Cain. We have his worship in contrast to Cain's worship. We have his character in contrast to Cain's character. Now we have Seth and his line in contrast to Cain and his line. And what do we see in Seth? People who are concerned with things that are right. People who are concerned with righteousness. Remember how we began this study? There is a battle between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, the flesh and the spirit, right and wrong. 
That's what's going on in Genesis 4 and 5. We called this lesson tonight a lesson in choices. And the reason why is because, again, there is an ongoing battle between good and evil, and we're all taking part in that conflict. It's not a a question really of whether we will. We all are, whether we want to or not. And listen, how we choose to live makes all the difference. We can either choose to be like Seth or like Enoch or like uh, Noah or like Abel, or we can choose to be like Cain and Lamech and everybody else that's mentioned in his line. We're going to make the decision. There's no middle ground. We'll either be in one of the other of the two groups. So which one are we going to choose? And we also need to realize that that choice does not come with any small ramification. Cain had to deal with the punishment for his sin, the consequence for his sin for the rest of his life. We will live with the consequence of our decision for all of eternity. So that's why this section, this um, context, really, I think, is a lesson on choices. We have to make them. We have to make a decision about how we're going to live and who we're going to serve. And we also should realize that when we make that choice, that it's going to have an effect Not just on me all by myself, but on my family, my wife and children, maybe grandchildren and great-grandchildren, the church, my neighbors, my choices for the way that I live and conduct myself have an effect on far more people than just me and for far longer than just today. And I need to keep that in mind. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation. And it may be that someone here tonight needs to make the decision, make the decision to become a child of God. If that's the case, then we stand ready and willing to assist you in doing that. And we would encourage you to do it without delay. But maybe tonight you're a Christian and perhaps you've not been making good choices. You've not been serving God as you should and you need to make that right. If we can help you in any way, then we offer the the Lord's invitation is offered Come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing together.